You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Predator, which came out in 1987 and was directed by John McTiernan. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, Bill Duke, Elpidia Carrillo, Jesse Ventura, Sonny Landham, Kevin Peter Hall, and Shane Black. The genre would be sci-fi horror action adventure. Whatever it is out there, we killed Harper, and now it wants us. Nothing like it has ever been on Earth before. She says the jungle, it just came alive and took him. It kills for pleasure. He was skinned alive! It hunts for sport. It's killing us one at a time. But this time, if it bleeds, we can kill it. It's picked the wrong man to hunt. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Predator, rated R. The hunt begins Friday, June 12th at theaters everywhere. This was a fun rewatch. Having now seen this movie so many times, I was determined to try to observe the story more from the Predator's perspective. And it's interesting to say the least. Predator. He's basically a mid-tier hunter who apparently wants to sleep at night for the most part. And as the story progresses, his skills not only wear down a bit from kicking back too much between hunts, polishing his skulls and imbibing some brew or whatever passes for beer on his home planet, but he apparently starts to lose his nerve a bit as he sees more of this hulking human with the strange accent in action. Pred, as I'll nickname him moving forward, clearly has the drop on this giant sweaty human several times in the final third of this movie but it's clear that he's just uncomfortable taking that kill shot. He just can't bring himself to laser off the dude's arm or blaze a hole through his chest cavity like he did for the others. Maybe he even thinks that he's found a friend. Pred has seen this human in action, just observing from up in the trees as he leads a small band of other fellow humans to take down a larger group of humans. And this human is not only freakishly strong, but he's clever too. He's different from the other big humans. He's just not staring into the trees all stoic-like, clutching the rock hanging from his neck, or strutting around chewing some disgusting black goo while he just aims a giant gun even bigger than him. Nope, this particular human, let's call him Choppa, as that's the word we hear him saying the most. He puts in the work, actually lifting up cars to use them as delivery devices for explosives. And he doesn't just kill folks throwing a blade in their hearts, but he then says quippy things immediately after, like, Stick around. Knock. It feels by the end of the story that Pred is positively smitten with Choppa. He's just kicking back at night, enjoying his skulls, and damn it if Choppa doesn't wake him up screaming, and he's created a huge fire no less. Now this sounds fun. Maybe this is Choppa's way of initiating a friendship, so he indulges him to check it out. But when he gets there, Choppa just starts throwing spears at him. Pred still lets his guard down. He takes off his weaponry and shows him his face no less. He only really wants to spar, roughhouse. Maybe he's even trying to find the right way to ask Choppa if they can go hunting together sometime. But alas, by this point, Pred has just killed too many of Choppa's friends, 
it's too late for friendship, and he even lets Choppa get the drop on him, literally, as he drops a tree right on top of him, right on top of Pred. Pred is demoralized at this point, and sadly, he's dying as well, so he responds by doing the one thing that he can still do in this state, blow them both up. What the hell are you? Wow. And since that human was played by peak Arnold Schwarzenegger in probably his first major role where he's allowed to be intelligent, can you blame him? Arnold gives a genuinely good, convincing action performance here, despite a couple of forced quips. And it helps that he has two extremely charismatic actors playing point for him, Bill Duke and Carl Weathers. Out there, I wish all three of them could have made it to the end of this story. But I get why director John McTiernan, along with screenwriter brothers Jim and John Thomas, went the dirty dozen route with this story. It has to end up mano a mano, and we have to see those groundbreaking creature effects from Stan Winston fully fleshed out. The Predator remains an impressively freakish creation, which sadly has never been utilized in a film this good since then. And we also can't forget Alan Silvestri's muscular, yet strangely hummable score. Just all the elements were just in place to take such a simple concept and turn it into a very satisfying rumble in the jungle between man and alien, even though I suspect that that alien might have just been looking for friendship. And now the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Now about that hummable score from Silvestri. It's damn good, but it's still not the overall musical highlight of this film. No, that would actually be a fun introductory sequence early on when we get to just briefly meet each of Arnold's entire extraction crew on their helicopter ride to the fictional Latin American country of Valverdes. It's late at night, and inside the copter, everyone is covered with a red light as they just kind of each chill out with each other before they're dropped into the jungle. Arnold's character is named Dutch, 
and he's suddenly told by Dylan, played by Carl Weathers, that they are now the only group being sent out there, which just provokes a knowing laugh from Dutch. We see Jesse Ventura's Blaine proudly chomping on his chewing tobacco, simply a guest that no one wants to share, also bragging that it will make him a, quote, sexual tyrannosaurus. We see Hawkins, played by Shane Black, he's simply reading a comic book. Just a few snippets of character building, giving us just enough context for the kind of crew that we will be following into the jungle soon enough. And the song that we hear playing over all of this, meant to convey a deceptively relaxed mood? Well, it's the 1956 smash pop hit, Long Tall Sally, performed by the late great rock music and R&B legend Richard Wayne Penniman, otherwise known to most as Little Richard. The song itself is a high-energy, up-tempo ditty driven by Richard's thunderous piano playing with brass in the background. Just a fun, boisterous song and a perfect mood setter for the insanity which will soon follow for our main characters. And now the next category. That would be Wasted Talent, the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now with this category, I'm going to take a route similar to my recent review for 1979's Alien by giving a shout out to a talented performer who might not have received the deserved credit for his contribution to this monster mash. And that would be Kevin Peter Hall, who actually plays the eponymous Predator. Standing at six foot nine and already a pretty celebrated basketball player through college, Kevin Peter Hall eventually decided to move to Los Angeles not long after graduation, instead deciding to become an actor. After some early sitcom work, he was hired in 1986 to play The Predator. After an up-and-coming martial arts star named, that's right, Jean-Claude Van Damme was fired from the very role. Apparently he was too short. As opposed to his predecessor, who wanted to show off his moves while in costume, Hall took a much more naturalistic approach to the character playing him as a rugged biped out for the hunt who was nimble but mostly focused on being stealth with his movements. He really does a fantastic job of portraying a stranger in a strange world who still carries a certain amount of confidence to be out hunting on his own. Wearing the extremely elaborate costume designed by Stan Winston in the middle of sweltering heat in the Mexican jungle during summer could not have been easy, but by all accounts, Hall was a consummate professional on the set. And on the set of a movie which would often get quite raucous, thanks to some of the large-sized personalities and bodies, I mean big bodybuilders, who would inhabit it. Hall would also go on to play a different Predator in the sequel taking place in Los Angeles. Seeing this figure now maneuver through an urban environment was definitely one of the highlights of that film. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. In a movie loaded with so many sequences featuring high testosterone, the moment which always stood out to me features my man Bill Duke playing Mac about halfway through. He has just witnessed the eponymous predator gut his best friend in the jungle with a laser rifle from up in the trees. The predator just briefly reveals himself, just flashes his eyes at Mac after he gets a visual read on where it's located, and then runs away. Mac is incensed and he starts firing indiscriminately in the Predator's direction, first with his machine gun, and then with the giant minigun that was now dead comrade was carrying. And while Mac is firing, he's screaming. And then the rest of the crew joins in alongside him, 
and they all just start shooting their guns in the same general direction. What results is several minutes of handsomely shot and loud gunfire resulting in the deaths of dozens of trees and some gaping injuries to the predator. And this kind of sequence was kind of a thing at this time in the 80s. Two years prior in Rambo First Blood Part 2, we watched John Rambo just destroy the military base's control room with his machine gun at the end. And the year before, we watched Ripley unleash hell with her grenade launcher on that hive of alien eggs. Check out that review, by the way. I don't quite know why this scene just grabs me, just like those two prior ones did, but it just feels visceral and strangely satisfying to see our protagonist just unleashing his weapon in anger, even if the effort proves somewhat futile. That brings me to the final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. This is genuinely a close call, as you can make a strong case that this was probably one of Arnold's breakout movies. He not only gives a genuinely good performance, but he often grounds it whenever necessary. However, you could easily see this as a true ensemble beyond Arnold's character Dutch. The film doesn't work nearly as well without Arnie, but it just works so much better thanks to the contributions of other actors, including Duke, Weathers, Ventura, and Landon. So why don't you use the regular army? What do you need us for? Because some damn fool accused you of being the best. Dylan! You son of a bitch. What's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils? Huh? For me, the man who made this really work was John McTiernan. For roughly a decade, McTiernan was one of the premier genre directors. Predator was only the second film that he directed, just a year after his debut with Nomads, a supernatural thriller starring Pierce Brosnan which I honestly never finished. But this film was just pure lightning in a bottle, as it was a pretty troubled production with a slew of big personalities involved besides the cast, including one of my personal favorites, Uber producer Joel Silver, who just earlier this year had produced previous episode Lethal Weapon. At the beginning of production, they didn't really have a read on how the eponymous monster would be visualized, nor how the film would conclude. Yeah, they ended up actually reshooting the last third of this movie to make it into a more clear-cut man-versus-beast battle. Predator is a pretty large-scale action thriller with minimal exposition. Very little of what occurs on screen is ever explained to the audience. It's a true blue visual experience, and McTiernan's approach was a big part of that in that he storyboarded everything. I mean, everything in advance. So at the end of the day, you had a relatively untested director taking on a big project with some big egos, with a story that was continuously evolving and being shot in some harsh conditions, no less. And with all of that, he still rose to the occasion thanks to his exhaustive focus on mapping out everything on screen well before it was to be shot. 
In retrospect, McTiernan disappointingly didn't have quite the long-lasting directing career that many, myself included, expected him to have. The last feature directed by him was 2003's kind of underrated Basic. And since then, McTiernan has been mired within some legal trouble, even spending some time in prison. But you look into this mini-run which kicked off his career. This, then previous episode Die Hard, which came out the next year, then The Hunt for Red October, which came out in 1990, I would put those three against any trio of films directed in succession by any genre filmmaker. Just within a few years, McTiernan made his mark on films in general, and for doing so, starting with this gem, he is the MVP. My rating for Predator would be four and a half stars out of five. Predator holds up as a strong action horror film that even visually could easily look like it was coming out in 2022. Very little of it feels dated. And let's be real, you don't need me to tell you to watch it or watch it again. But just one piece of advice. If you're putting it on for someone who is watching it for the first time, try to let them enjoy and maybe hold off on your own Arnie impression for most, if not all, of the runtime if you can. And of course, get to the chopper! Get to the chopper! If you're looking to watch Predator, it's currently available to buy or rent on most major streaming platforms. And that ends another heat-seeking review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.